Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we are a from the field podcast, and we go where you go to have those mastermind moments and aha experiences that move you ever closer to your experience, to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. It very rarely happens when you're sitting at your home office or home office. And as you listen to us today, you may hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background. You may hear that there are people having a conversation about 20 feet away from me. You may occasionally hear a door open and close beside me. But where are you when you have these experiences? You may be out of the cafe. You may be at a lounge. You may be at a coffee shop. You may be at the networking function. You could be sitting outside on a nice, beautiful day like we have here in Las Vegas, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in America. So continuing that theme, we are going to have a conversation that I believe is going to excite you and enervate you and perhaps give you a few ideas, whether you are a solopreneur with contractors, whether you're an entrepreneur with a team or a set of employees, whether you're a corporate leader, and it's about maximizing productivity without burning your employees out. And here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we do tend to expand the meaning of the word employee to also include your virtual team members, your contractors, anybody who provides something of value to your business that moves it forward. And to share with us on this topic today, we have somebody who I've been looking to land on Business Creators Radio for a long time, and I'm so happy we're able to pull it off. Her name is Becca Powers. She is an award-winning high-tech sales executive and motivational speaker with over 20 years experience. Her career boasts Fortune 500 giants such as Dell and Cisco. Now, from growing up with musician parents who flirted with addiction to dropping out of college, I hate that term, dropping out, and becoming a single parent of two by the age of 28, Becca's guts and grit journey to success reaches beyond business. As a motivational speaker, she empowers women to prioritize themselves for a more filling or fulfilling, joyful life. She has a website, www.beccapowers.com, which I'll urge you to visit in about 45 minutes or so. And right now, Becca Powers, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. So happy to be here. I warned you we were weird. All right. So hey, I like uh, weird. Weird works for me. Nice, nice, nice. So I read off your official bio. It's so impressive and so intriguing. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. So what I <laughs> so what we're going to have you do is we're going to have you tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion today. I would love to. And I'm going to do it in the form of a story. So if any time during my storytelling that you're like, hey, wait, I have a question. Just interrupt me. It's totally fine. Um, So I what I like to say is that my journey stopped and then restarted on the bathroom floor. So there's some there's a weird for you. Right. Like, what does she mean by that? So um, in 2013, I was a regional sales leader for Dell, regional sales manager. 
for Dell. And uh, whenever I'm in a leadership position, I really like to follow. It's my own um, personal mantra, but people before profits. That's my leadership mantra that I love to stand behind. And I'm a very big, like I'm, I'm a trailblazer. I like the underdog. I like fighting for a cause. It's very much like my nature. So I get really passionate about topics like that. I'm like people before profits. And I got recruited by a company that had a very similar motto. The thing is I had to take a pay cut to, to take the role. So it was a big decision for me, but I got to um, be a leader in this organization. I also got to sit on the executive council. So I was super excited, took the role and uh, what had happened in the role. And this is like how we talk about um, pr getting productivity without burning your people out is that in this role, I started putting that mantra first people before profits. I started putting my team first. I started putting the business first. And before you know it, three years later, I'm working 12 hour days. I'm on projects, committees. I'm overextended, overcommitted. I've got four kids at home. I have two that are mine. Two are my stepkids. Um, my husband and I were raising four kids all in middle school. I mean, when I talk about full plate, I had like a Thanksgiving plate, right? And Instead of recognizing that there were some aspects maybe of the role and the job that weren't a fit for me, I did what a lot of, I say like high achieving profiles do. I powered through, I have a lot of resiliency. I have a lot of um, perseverance built into my character. So I never really stopped to ask myself the question, is this working for me? I just kept powering through each day. And I like to draw that picture because at the end of three years, um, I, came home from work one day and it's not my finer, finest moment in time, Adam, I'm going to tell you this, but I came home from work one day. I had my purse on my, on my shoulder and I walk through the door and my kids run up to me, like very excited to see me like, Hey mom, let me tell you about our day. And instead of greeting them with the same like enthusiasm and energy that they were coming at me, I was exhausted. I was beat. I had no more capacity for anything. And I look at them and I say, can I put my F and purse down? And, and then I followed that by saying, I need five minutes guys. And I just remember the like time stopping for a minute. And I saw their faces like go sad and their shoulders roll down and almost look like they were ashamed that they even approached me with such happiness. Like how dare they? And it absolutely crushed me. And it made me sit there and think, is this the woman or mom that I really want to be? And then later that night, I was washing my face, got every, all the kids to bed and, and was reflecting on the day. And I just started crying and I was so mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically exhausted by this point that I had pretty much a breakdown. I fell to my knees of the bathroom floor and just wept. I, I, I didn't know how to go about tomorrow a different way. And um, in that moment, I had what I call my instant miracle, but um, I remembered something a former VP of sales told me, which was, Becca, you're the CEO of your life. And so kind of, you mentioned weird, but in like, you know, in these weird moments where you're like crying, but then you have introspections, like I start almost laughing, like on the bathroom floor. And I'm like, well, if I'm the CEO of my life, then I have a lot more power in this situation than I think I do. And I kind of just wiped my tears and I, I rose off the bathroom floor, a different woman than the one that went down. I was empowered. Arr. Yes, I was empowered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here, I am woman, hear me roar. But not even like that, though. But yes, but yes, like that. And, um, you know, what I want to say as we go into more conversations is that it's by the time I hit the bathroom floor, Adam, I had formed two anxiety disorders, ADHD, um, I was diagnosed with chronic stress. I'd gained 30 pounds. Um, my relationships were fractional. There was a lot going on that needed to get fixed. And um, luckily here I am being able to talk about it now. It took me about two years to reprioritize things and get things back on track. And um, as we move into the conversation, what I want to finish my story saying is that 
I was forced to look at success differently. I was forced in a matter of just like to heal, um, to prioritize myself, my health and my family first and my work second. And then the weirdest thing happened. I became more successful as a result. There's my mic drop. Well, uh, I have a few comments about this. Let's go. First, and I cover this in my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy. I got to a point where I smashed my printer into a thousand pieces. Briefly, what happened is, uh, Becca, have you ever had a client from hell? Yes, many, actually. Okay, I had... (laughs) I had three at the same time in my previous business. And these people candidly were just absolutely awful to me. It's uh, it's, and you, and you may have had the situation where you've had the 80, uh, 20 rule just absolutely reversed on you. where you have a couple things that just dominate your entire day and rob you of the joy of everything else you're supposed to be experiencing. Now at the time, my business had almost 40 clients that it seemed like day in and day out, everything had to resolve around these three jerkwads. And I'll call them that. Um, I mean, it was to the point where I had to create a separate email account just for me to communicate with my team members because I needed to at least be able to start the day without the latest bitch fest from one of these three clients from hell. (laughs) And it got to the point where most of my dialogues between email and, uh, and at the time, we used to use MSN Messenger. That's so I'm dating myself and putting a time frame on this. So 15 years ago, uh-huh. uh, most of the conversations with my team were about how these three clients from hell had reached out to them to complain about me. Oh because gosh. nothing I ever did was right. It was just unbelievable. In fact, one of the complaints was... Uh, one of my clients went to my assistant and said, you know, Adam asked me a question about our project yesterday, and I'm really offended that he did so because he should have just known the answer. Wow. So so got, <laughs> yeah, so it got to the point where I was just, I hadn't even had a chance to go grocery shopping, and I ate toothpaste for breakfast one morning. Um, so my accountant gets a hold of me. He's, he's a fantastic guy. He's been my CPA for as long as I've been an entrepreneur, and I hope he outlives me so I never have to replace him. Uh, And he needed me to sign a piece of paper, scan it, and send it back to him because he needed to do one of my company's routine filings. So I'm thinking, okay, here's somebody who doesn't want a piece of my ass. I'm happy to help him. Well, halfway through printing a one-page document, my printer tells me it ran out of ink. Oh, my gosh. I didn't have food in my place and now i can't even print a one-page document so i can sign it and scan it let's just say the two years later when i moved out of that place we were still finding p- pieces of that printer after what i did to it it's like a office space moment of your very own yeah <laughs> oh and, that, and that's kind of what i was thinking at the time so that leads to my next point. And you shared your story about you snapping at your kids and how your life has been less than perfect. And I do that all the time. I've shared stories about things where I've legitimately messed up, uh, where I've had what I would describe as, to put it mildly, not my finest hour. And there yes. are other examples. As podcasters, as podcast hosts, and you know, I'm a podcast host and I know you are as well, we are the voice of our audiences. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I mean is they have the same things happen to them in their lives. They've had their less than finest hour. They've snapped at their kids. They've gone off a space on somebody. They've let their business get dominated by a couple of high maintenance ninnies who never should have been clients in the first place. It yes. happens to all of us. Uh-huh. But, but they find themselves where for whatever reason, they can't say that out loud. And because they can't say it out loud, they don't get the opportunity to go through the journey of processing it, gaining the lessons, and becoming stronger as leaders for going through the process. But because you and I can vocalize it, they can say themselves quietly, hey, you know what? Yeah, I, that, something like that happened to me too. Or, oh, I'm, I've been there and done that. Exactly. So they can stand up and walk beside us. And just by allowing us to be their vicarious voice, still get to that process, that journey, and that experience that helps them grow and become stronger, which is what motivates me to keep doing this. 
And I've been podcasting for almost 10 years. I'm now on the other side of it as well, where I work with entrepreneurs to launch their podcast. That's where I ultimately found my intersection of my brilliance and my passion. So oh, that's awesome. Right. So let's get into um, some of what you wanted to share here. But before we do, before we do, and I'm real excited about a few of the points you went over with me in the green room. I ju- you may have heard when I read off your official bio that you mentioned you dropped out of college. And I hate the term dropout because I, to, I me, that, that to <laughs> me, that signifies a failure to achieve somebody else's benchmark. What if we normalize the idea that whether it just wasn't for you at all or wasn't for you at that time, college wasn't where you needed to be. It wasn't the thing that was serving you. Something else is a higher priority. Something else was a brilliance or a passion, and you pursued that instead. I, 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 I think I, that's I, exactly I, what it should be. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I, ca- I caught on to this. Um, one of my one of my dear friends, uh, Benny Mardonis, who sang that song "Into the Night." Um, he went to MIT for I think a year. He was a mathematical genius, but about a year into being at MIT. He had already begun his music career, and he was making more money as an opening act than he expected to make with his MIT degree. So he stopped going to MIT and pursued his real passion, which was music. And and Adam, that's exactly what happened to me as well. So, I mean, not the music piece, but I've been in sales since I was 18 years old, and I... I ended up in sales. I was at a, because I was, I was assistant manager of a dollar store in a mall when I was 17, just turning 18. Yeah. And the, the, there was a small electronic store, like dating myself too. like everybody remember Radio Shack. So there was Uh like a mom pa version of Radio Shack that was next door. And the owner had recruited me over and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I have this electronic company and I I'll match what you're getting paid as an assistant manager, which back then I think was like $5 an hour. Um, and then you'll also make commission. And I was like, well, what's commission? He's like, well, you'll get a percentage of everything that you sell. I'm like, so you're going to pay me more to do my job and I get paid for my performance. He's like, yeah. I'm like, sign me up. Let's go. Right. And like, that sounds fantastic. And so uh, just to kind of go along with what you were saying, what ended up happening is I started making more money than what I was for my first time, quote unquote, dropping out in that first year of 18 to 19. And this is back in 1997. I made like $30,000. And that was a lot of money for an 18, 19 year old. And um, it was more money than the degree that I was going for. So I dropped out and spent time in, in my career. And that's basically what happened to me all three times. Each time I would go and modify my degree. And then I'd end up having, I loved my career. And I also ended up making more money than what I was going to school for. So that is my story. Well, that is, that is just divine. So let's keep going along that path as we get into some of the things you want to cover. One of the things that you have referenced is the power of and. Yes. Now we're told that life is a series of ors. I but, hate that. <laughs> so I want to hear about more about your thoughts on that and then take it one step further. And what have you developed that gives you yourself permission to be what's known as multifaceted, being a career badass and the best mom on the planet, even though you've snapped your kids one day and threw your purse? Yes. So I love that question because I think that from that societal expectation, we are almost, and and I think part of being human too, it's like this or that is kind of just what we've been told. And so I remember the, or just causing me so much stress and it's kind of a, a silly story, but it was the, it was the story that gave me the aha. So here I am, you know, I I already shared that I was, I went into extreme burnout, but in the process of getting burnt out to the point that I, you know, had autoimmune disease and hit the bathroom floor and snapped on my kids. um, There was a process in between. And so a few months before that moment, I had registered to become 
a Kundalini. I wanted to get my Kundalini yoga teacher certification. And so now I'm getting the certification. I'm going on the weekends and stuff and my schedule is even fuller now, but as I'm going into the teacher training, I started having, cause I was a sales leader. I had some of the sales leaders were very concerned for me. <laughs> they were like, right. so, uh, you're going to quit your job and become a yoga teacher. You're, you know, you're not going to make any money doing that. Right. Becca. And I'm like, I, I never thought I was going to quit my job. I just also happened to like yoga. Like there's that. And then, um, on the flip side of that, at, at in the yoga community, when I was, um, with my, my yoga people, they would say to me, I bet you can't wait till you get your certification. So you can quit that corporate job because it's probably sucking your soul. And then I'd say the same thing. Like I never really had any intentions of quitting. Quite frankly, I love my career. It it's awesome. And I just happened to also like yoga. And I kind of felt like stretch Armstrong. Like I was being mentally pulled in two directions where I had to, to was forced to choose. And then it dawned on me that I didn't have to choose that I could be both, that I could be the, and, and, and so, but when I embodied that, so there's a difference of like cognitive, cognitively understanding that. And then there's the, when the embodiment happens, like where you said, you use the words like permission. So I could already tell you understand a lot of this stuff, but it's like inside, I felt like I expanded, like my life force expanded or that I, I somehow, um, my perception enhanced and I was understanding things. And once I understood that I could be th- that, and then I also realized that I could be a good mom and I could also focus on my career. And it was some of those pivotal thoughts that, um, some of that stuff came clear after my, my breakdown, to be honest, but it was that initial understanding that the, and can help me expand that I started embracing it as a tool as I fell into and healed out of extreme burnout. That is, and you know what, this whole thing is just really a bunch of BS. You know, you just sound so lazy and entitled. You're probably a millennial. <laughs> you laugh because you know what I'm getting at. Um, we've heard about, and, and, and the word millennials is thrown out, even though there are other generations that are younger than the millennials. Here's what, in my belief, actually happened. Now, I'm at the tail end of Gen X. I was born in 1976, so I'm about three and a half. Yeah, so so both of us are a couple years ahead of the millennials. So for all intents and purposes, we're basically millennials mm-hmm. as, far as, as, far, as far as I see it. Now, we were in, in the early millennials were the first generation who from a relatively early age had consistent access to high-speed internet at a point where the internet had a lot of information on it. Therefore, this is really the first generation that had access to information and support networks that gave them the ability, the knowledge, and the power to question narratives, to recognize and break cyclical patterns, and to bifurcate between what has been done because it's always been done versus what has actually benefited us over time. To me, your millennials, your Gen Zs, and all those other, I mean, there's so many different generations at this point. They're not lazy or entitled. They just recognize that a lot of that stuff uh, under that came under the aegis of work hard and be loyal to a company or whatever they were told. Um, just doesn't really apply at this point. These are actually some of the most passionate, dedicated people I know. All they really want when it comes down to it is to feel that the contributions they make, whether it's as an entrepreneurial leader, whether it's as a corporate employee, whether it's a member of an organization, to feel like the contributions they make create some sort of difference and that when they invest their time, their energy, their spirit, that they get a return on that investment. And now that these cohorts are the absolute majority of your workforce, however you define that term, what we've seen are those same sentiments creep upward to the Gen Xers, the baby boomers. And if there's any greatest generation 
that I mean they're almost 100 years old at this point, but there may still be one or two around in the workplace somewhere. They're looking at it and saying, you know what? I want that too. I want to feel like my contributions make a difference. I want to feel like when I invest in myself that I get a return on that. I want to feel that the world is a better place because of my contributions to it. I am applauding you. If you could see me in person, I'm like, yes, sure. <laughs> yes to all of that. Um, when you, when you say that, I think of so many things, um, you know, one of the things that I have found really, I have like my, my, <laughs> I do have ADHD. I have like three things that I want to say at, at the same time, but going back to one of the first things that you said is that I think it's really, inc- really important Um, especially as you're looking at workplace culture, whether you're a leader or an entrepreneur, or you're, you know, in the trenches, um, as an individual contributor, it's really important to, I I like to say, break the rules, but I I think maybe because I like to be a little edgy, but I think what you said, like questioning the rules is super important because there's a lot of things that have been in place. And people will say, oh, we do that because we've always done it that way. But is that the right way to do it? Um, I think that having a spirit to be able to question rules or and or break rules allows um, change to happen, which to your point is much needed. It's important as a human being. We are not robots, you know, and and not that um, the generations before us wanted us to be robots, but it was also you know, new industry, new work that everybody was trying to figure it out. So I think people thought that working hard um, was the answer. And what we found out is as people retire, like my um, father-in-law, for instance, had said, you know, I wish I would have taken more art classes. Yeah. Well, Well, let's look at the generations that went before us. You and I are late Gen Xers. So I'm guessing your parents were boomers, just like mine are. My parents were born in late fifties. They were hippies full out okay okay um i think when we look at this generational stuff i think they're technically considered like late-end boomers if i have yeah, you all probably. these straight mm-hmm. well let's let's look at that generation that was the first generation at least here in the united states where we had a true middle class that arose after world war ii and it was driven by the unions largely and that in itself was driven by the prosperity that was gained by war production during World War II. Correct. Now, this was a generation that followed the greatest generation, which fought World War II, which followed the generation that lived through the Great Depression, which followed the generation that lived through World War I. So they were on the tail end of about 30 years of nonstop clusterfuck. Uh-huh. And they finally got their piece of the pie. They finally had the opportunity to make a nice life for themselves and be in a position where the likelihood was very high that their children would have it a lot better than they would. So the way they look at it is they accomplished so much and just want to make sure that it gets preserved for the next generation. So it wasn't, I think, really about oppressing anybody or necessarily intentionally forcing people to live by roles that people don't even remember the reasons why. but. I believe what actually drove it energetically was wanting to make sure that we received the gift that they were handing down and knew what to do with it. Yes, I agree with that a lot. And in turn, and this is the beauty of generations and why it's so important to question because we, we are human at nature and we're meant to evolve. And so what worked 10 years ago isn't what suits our needs now. I mean, even to your point, technology, if you just look at how technology shifts every five years, you know, and that drives our behavior and everything as well. So as you talk about that, they were, I mean, I even remember like my parents just super happy to be able to provide it for us and do all the vacations and do everything. And, and I remember them telling me, you can be whoever you want to be, but you have to work hard and just little things like that. And um, that, started coming, you know, coming into me and I'm a high achiever. So I took on that a, because it's my persona and then B, because that's was what I was like 
told subconsciously is you have to work hard. And then I end up having a breakdown on the bathroom floor. It has me yeah. sitting there questioning like, Hey, <laughs> maybe I got this formula a little mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you know what we had and look at some of the changes that are even happening in people's personal lives. Like look at, look at the generations that are now the majority today. Now we hear that um, there's a housing shortage right now, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there are actually fewer people looking to buy houses. The idea of you're going to buy a place when you're 25, spend 40 years paying it off, and then spend the last 10 years of your life rocking on the front porch, that just doesn't exist for people anymore, uh, either within what they believe is possible or even really what they want. I've read articles about boomers and such who are concerned because they have a lot of heirlooms in the house and none of the kids want them. I'm dealing with that with uh, family family members right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I do. I deal with it too. Um, my parents want me to go, go back to Pennsylvania and go through their house and pick out stuff I want. And I've already made clear that the only things, the only stuff I want in their house are a couple things that actually belong to me that I just never got out of there. That's funny. Out, out, I... Outside of that, once they're gone um, and uh, my sister hasn't, ex- hasn't really, express a lot of interest in that stuff either because she has her own stuff it's probably all going to get sold yeah and and we want the you know i think that individuality is very important right now is to rise into i mean i love saying stuff too like rise into your potential rise into who you were meant to be um it's a little cliche but i think that that was part of the suppression like Um, uh, and just getting extremely real with you right now, I've lost both my parents. Uh, My mom passed away when I was 23 from medication overdose. And my father passed away from complications with prescription medicine too, um, about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. So I say that because I think even though there was a pride to how well previous generations were, how much they were, there was a pride to what they were able to accomplish. It came at a cost. It came at a cost of their happiness, you know? And I, I feel like our generation and what has happened, like you said, with the millennial generation and more is that we would rather have less and live more. Yeah. I'm in the process of finding a new place to live for reasons I won't get into on this call, but let's just say that the apartment I've lived in for eight years, the community I live in has basically gone to hell. And I don't really care if the, pe- if the people who work there heard me say that or not. In fact, I hope they do. But um, what this has done for me, because I always look for the silver lining. It's another thing I cover in my book that the silver lining is a precious metal so she'd invest in it, is not, this isn't just a matter of finding another apartment similar to the one I have right now, just in the community where they actually know how to manage your goddamn swimming pool and have it open when it's 118 degrees outside. Not that I'm bitter about anything. It's more <laughs> than just that. Now, as I see it, everything's on the table. So I'm looking at a lot of questions. Do I still want to have a two-bedroom apartment when half the, half the space I have in my apartment right now is not even being used? Do I need that? And I've expressed interest in the possibility of going to a one bedroom because currently my living situation doesn't require two bedrooms. There aren't enough people in there to occupy two bedrooms. Now, I've said that to a few folks and they say, so what, you're going to downgrade or you're going to cut back? How's that downgrading or cutting back? Is, yeah. is, that, is that really aligning more with how my lifestyle has evolved at this time? And allowing myself the space that maybe in three years, I make a different decision, or maybe even a year from now, I make a different decision. So I just want to comment on that. I think like, as far as listeners go, that's the part that I would love just to like reinforce and echo is that that's the beauty of life. And as we're talking about this evolution, you get to choose and then choose again. There's nothing saying, Adam, that maybe in a, that's what fits you today. And in a year and a half, that could be completely different. And that's okay. And, and I think that per, you mentioned earlier in the, in the talk permission, we feel guilty. Like uh, we struggle with loyalty 
and commitment or even status like, Oh, you're downgrading. Am I downgrading though? When I can, I don't need that space. I can save money. And there's always an energetic exchange. Maybe financially, it'll give you a few more bucks in your pocket, or maybe just not, or having less space gives you more space inside. So you're like, Oh, I, I can go take an extra class or go for an extra walk. Sometimes just changing our environment can open up that personal space within us when we're able to, to um, touch more passion and the things that make us happy. So I love that you ended up talking about that. Yeah. uh, As I said, we go in a lot of different directions here and we are getting to the point about maximizing productivity without burning your employees out. So let's go to the next topic that you want us to cover. We have about about 20 minutes here. We'll get through all of it. Uh, The next one, and this is something I'm really excited to discuss, is the concept of neurodivergence and particularly neurodivergence in the workplace. Now, it does exist and there is something we can do to support those who may be, quote unquote, suffering silently, and you may be one of them. So I know what the word means, but for our listeners, could you define what neurodivergence means and then cover this for us? Neurodivergence, um, as far as how I like to think of it, means that it's, it's someone whose brain thinks differently than others. Um, depending on the definition, some people, like some say it's on the real spectrum of like autism and stuff. I think in a workplace, it's really... Um, a lot more common, meaning like it could be anxiety disorders, ADHD, trauma, even. I think that those are the things that have us think and process and act differently that aren't considered um, either in in leadership. And these things are actually um, how we process are some of the very, very things that can lead us to burnout when um, those things aren't considered in the profile. Well, yeah, and I think what we also see is that uh, folks with all this change in the information that's available and our ability to gain power to take different levels of command of our own destiny just are more expressive. Yes, it goes yes. back to the whole, it goes back to the whole thing of what the majority of the workforce, and I say the absolute majority at this point, but when I mentioned the trickle up effect is they really want is just to feel like that they're adding value and that their investment gets a return on it. I I love that. And I'm going to bring all of this home and and kind of wrap it into, I mean, we have more time, but what I mean is there's an, I, I, so I um, specialize, I call it like work-life success, but what the two topics that I really specialize in is burnout and then workplace empowerment. Like how can you have create your work-life success. And um, mainly because of where I came from, I came from extreme burnout. So I got a little obsessive and geeky and I studied it and I even surveyed like 8,000 people. And what I learned, Adam, is something that you've reinforced a couple of times on this call. Burnout starts, and I I created my own five stages to burnout because I needed to understand it better. But burnout starts in what I call in stage one of what I call the unders. And this is where an employee feels undervalued, underappreciated, underrecognized, underpaid, um, you, you name the under, but undervalued is the number one after looking at all the survey results, um, feeling undervalued is the number one trigger, um, to start the burnout cycle. And the reason that it is all of the unders actually, um, when you feel undervalued, underappreciated, what it makes you feel is that you're unseen, unheard, and that you don't matter. So this is tying into yeah. And when you feel like you're unseen, unheard, and like you don't matter, you start overcompensating because you want people, you don't want people to see that part of you. You want yeah. them to see that you're valuable. And that's when people start overthinking, overwhelming, overworking, overcommitting, overextending. Yes. And, and so that I call stage two, the overs. So you got the unders and the overs, and then, you know, then it's all downhill from there. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think it's really important, even if you talk about neurodivergent too, is that, um, you know, a lot of people, I mean, ADHD is probably one of the most common things that I almost, I would be surprised. I think that almost everybody has it to some degree these days, because we have grown up in a technology um, environment and things are always changing and it leaves kind of us fragmented. 
a little bit, but um, understanding how I think for employee employers and leaders, understanding where your value does come from an employee. Like for me, talk about neurodivergence. Like I, I function the best from nine to 12. So if you want that, that's when I have like the most energy, that's when I have the most juice. So if you want me to produce new concept ideas, things like that, and really dump impact and value, like that's my hot time. And so I think that it's really important, whether you're an entrepreneur to recognize that in yourself, or if you're a small business owner, where are your hot zones for your people? Um, Where are they adding value? What can you develop their strengths? This is another topic I can rip on Adam, but it drives me crazy that the old, the old leadership styles were like, develop the weaknesses. (laughs) Like, no, those are our weaknesses, man. Like, I don't want to develop my weaknesses. I want to develop my strengths, right? How can I add value? How can I make impact? Those are all the words you've been using, but that's exactly what we want right now. Whether again, we're entrepreneurs or we're out in the workforce, we want to make impact and add value. Well, I find roots of what you just described in the last moment there in our education system. Have you noticed within our educational system how so much emphasis is placed on what students do poorly versus what they do well. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was classified as gifted as a child. I knew how to read and write before I entered kindergarten. Now, nice. I, attribute, I attribute that to early homeschooling, but then I went into the school system and, oh boy. Well, I can do a lot of things or I was able to do a lot of things, most of my subjects with moderate and sometimes very little effort. I could ace it effortlessly. But one thing I could never, ever do is solve an isosceles quadruped or whatever for why. So it was actually seriously suggested because I was having a difficult time with advanced mathematics courses I had no interest in and probably shouldn't have been in in the first place, that I be taken out of all of my other advanced classes, not take advanced placement credits, and even be removed from the gifted program so that I would have even more time to spend on something that I hated, had no interest in, and could barely fathom. Wow. So wow, what that's is so, sad. Yeah, so... And this is something where I was already spending about 80% of my homework and study time and hating it. But what if, but what if a different approach had been taken where somebody said, well, you know, I guess you're never going to be able to solve an isosceles trapezoid for why. So maybe you should uh, take business math and just check off the box but, and do some of this other stuff you're really good at. I mean, what would that do for our confidence? Yeah. Right? And um, it, it's, it leads me to, to want to say, cause you're like, Hey, I embrace the weird. So this is kind of weird, but I mentioned that I'm a Kundalini teacher and I've done a lot of yoga. And um, if you're not familiar with Kundalini yoga, it's highly meditative. So you get into a trance state and I say, it's like a rocket ship to the cosmos. Right. Yeah. Um, but I was um, doing, I was in um, a reflective state. They were bringing us to an experience of like, imagine you're like in a tribal experience and there was a guided meditation, but it was really like an out-of-body experience. I was really able to connect with the visualization of the guide of the guided voice. And the weirdest thing happened as I'm in this like cosmic experience and, and, um, visualizing, I visualized myself as like a, a tribal, member back in, I don't know, hundreds of years ago when it was just like living off the land times. But what was really fascinating about it is that when I first saw myself in my visualization, I had bracelets stacked all on my wrist. And I had the understanding that each bracelet represented my strengths and not my weaknesses. They represented my strengths and everyone in the tribe had these bracelets so that you knew what your specialties were. So you knew how to ask for help. And that was just so profound. It was short, 
but profound. I'm like, we spend so much time in today's society hiding our imperfections rather than, could you imagine if we're like, if you were able to say, Hey, I'm really good at helping you, you know, do your podcast, create a podcast and get it off the ground. And, and people just knew that. And they're like, Oh, I'm going to call Adam. Um, But instead we spend so much time hiding rather than, than really standing and owning our strengths. And I just thought that was really fascinating. And I wanted to share, share that based upon what you just said. Well, certainly, certainly. So, um, so what else we still need to cover here in terms of maximizing productivity without burning your employees out. Because I think another thing that we're seeing here, and this is a trend that's been going on for a long time, you know that a fast-paced work environment means basically they're looking to get you to do three jobs uh, for 40% less than the previous three people that you're actually replacing that they haven't told you about got paid for. Mm-hmm. I think that as we... I, I think it's twofold. And I, I pause for a second because I'm like, how do I want to answer this? But it, the answer is twofold. I mean, one, as individuals, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about it on this episode. I think it's up to us to set what the new standards are. Right? Yeah. This is what I'm willing to do. And this is what I'm not willing to do. Um, and what I have found is like, I um, still, I also, I, run a business and I also still uh, work in corporate America and I work for Cisco systems. And what I find that out is like a, a company like Cisco systems, we have, um, we have like workplace freedom. And what I mean by that is that I am expected to get my job done. I'm expected just to get my job done. And I have right. the freedom to go about how I get that done. So I can work in my, in my zones of genius. I can work in my times of maximum impact. I can take a break when I need to take a break and then I can come back. I think we're going to see more companies kind of adapt to this, especially with the hybrid work environment now being now being the norm, as opposed to just cutting edge. Um, I think that's what it's going to take for, um, people to be able to maximize their productivity without burning out. Some people function really well, taking a two hour break during the middle of the day, they go work out, they eat lunch, kind of take a 15 minute nap or something. And then they come back and they have a whole another like three or four hour power hour, you know, power session. Like that's great. Um, But everyone's a little different. And I think embracing that, that difference and going back to what we were talking about, helping people feel valuable and also um, developing people's strengths are going to be ways that we can, you know, imagine if you're working in your zone of genius all the time, Yeah, if you're not spending as many cycles as if you're working on those, on those triangles or whatever you're trying to solve for why, and you're, you're, you're going to spend six hours trying to solve it as opposed to 30 minutes, of your zone of genius. Yeah. So, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up here, and this is, uh, sometimes been weaponized is there have been a number of studies conducted on actual productivity in the workplace on the part of knowledge workers. And to me, who in many cases don't even really need to be in an office, it's like a vestige of the industrial revolution. And yeah, we're going to expect you to show up from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., deal with two hours of traffic on either side uh, and take your mandatory 30-minute lunch and two 15-minute breaks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And because... Working in a cube farm under a fluorescent light is where you're going to find your zone of genius. No. <laughs> and, out, and, and out of the eight hours that you're expected to work in that environment, the studies have shown that the actual amount of product, productive time that the typical employee in that environment puts in that's valuable to the company is two hours and 53 minutes. Wow. Wow. That's eye-opening. Do you, uh, do you, uh, can you imagine what the rest of that time is spent on? I mean, it is all, yes, it's, it's not, it's not in full productivity, right? It it is in sidebar conversations, getting distracted, going to the coffee maker, um, getting pulled in into meetings about meetings. It's like a Seinfeld episode. (laughs) It's, it's having, a week-long series of three-hour meetings because some asshole in the C-suite got offended because 
they were because somebody CC'd them on an email and put them behind somebody lower on the org chart in the order of the CCs. Oh my gosh. I actually got corrected. For, that's so funny. At one point in my career, I got corrected on that with a closed door meeting. And I'm like, really? Sorry. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and what's, and what's sad is we all have these Dilbert type stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that, that is just really, really pathetic. Uh, and I, and I have a story that I share. I mean, for the sake of time, I'm just going to bullet pointed very briefly uh, it happened almost 20 years ago back when I lived in Pennsylvania it was December there was a freak snowstorm that hadn't been predicted and uh, as a result the roads weren't cleared I lived an hour from work at the time uh, there were some uh, and I was involved in community relations and training so there were two off-site meetings that I was the coordinator for that needed to be canceled and rescheduled but I could not get out of my driveway so I use this thing called a telephone and VPN access to log in and take care of the situation. I told my supervisor about it and he said it was fine. Well, Q 30 minutes later and my, and my boss's boss comes charging from the C-suite, pounding his chest, repeating his own title over and over again, saying, oh, if, if, if Adam doesn't come in, he's going to get written up. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I, you know I want to do that guy and believe, and he actually talks like that. I and mean, he's just a pathetic moron. I want to, I want to go to um, he in, in, in the present day, he occasionally appears on podcasts. I want to comment on one of those podcasts and ask this question. Um, this doesn't look like John doing his job. Did he file for PTO for this? Yes. And that's like, oh my gosh, that is exact. That is that old school mentality that we were just like talking about. It's so ridiculous. And um, it's, it's just, it's going to expire. It has to expire. I've had several situations like that too, Adam. Like I once got pulled into the office mm-hmm. because um, I was, being too smart, kind of like I am a sales manager and I love data. I think data helps drive decisions is one of my sayings. And so I was spending a lot of time. I was a newer leader and I was spending a lot of time um, trying to understand the database and how our leads flow and like all sorts of sales stuff. Long story short is I started um, by doing this, exposing some things on accident but I was more happy about it. I was like, whoa, look at all this opportunity. That's what we think about in sales. It's like, can't control yesterday, but look at this opportunity. We can fix it. I got told, I got told I could not use Excel any longer. I got pulled into the office and told that I physically could not use Excel anymore. So mm-hmm. you got a necessary toll to do your job taken away from you because the work you were doing was too productive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know what the sad part is, is I believe it at face value. And then we wonder why people get burned out over this stuff. One of the, as I, as I say, I, I believe in silver linings. You should invest in them because it's a precious metal. And, uh, and when the bug hit us a couple of years ago and these companies that have been resisting the idea of remote work and working from home and all that, we're now told, oh, well, unless you want to cease your operations entirely, you will have your employees work from home starting tomorrow. So it forced a change. It was long overdue. Yes. And then you saw what happened when they said, okay, well, uh, the, uh, they, uh, they say the worst if it's over. Now you have to be back in the office tomorrow. And what did people say? They said, no. They said, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I've been speaking with your competitor and they are offering to pay me 30% more and I can still work at home. Make a decision now. Yes, exactly. And that's what led to, you know, it's funny. I, a lot of, uh, you know, I'm on podcasts a lot too, and people talk uh-huh. about the great resignation, but now it's like, oh, well, that was more of like a great reset is what I've heard people say. And I think that's really clever because that's ultimately yeah. people really, they resigned. Yes. But to your point, they went back to work. There was along with the two hour and 53 minute study for people working in office spaces that didn't necessarily physically need to be there, similar studies, and this was actually weaponized 
showed that those same people, if given the opportunity to work remotely or work from home, would uh, put in uh, a little bit over four hours worth of productivity on an eight-hour day. Wow. And, didn't, and didn't that backfire? Mm-hmm. So sending people home made them more productive. It did. And that's one of the things like when I'm in, um, engaged with corporations and organizations, because I do a lot of training on that, um, I'm actually helping employ. I do a lot of uh, work with employee engagement because I'm helping them bring their life back into their life because most people are working from home or hybrid. They've actually started even though the millennial generation has been the one to say, Hey, we need more freedom and, you know, flexibility. Um, the work from home has caused more productivity and, um, that balancing back out. I don't know if that's the right word, but I don't really like work life balance. I don't think it exists, but just for the sake of ease in the conversation, you know, it's like people are overworking again. And so they need to be reminded to take breaks or to incorporate something that, you know, makes them feel passionate or makes them feel alive um, so that they don't burn out. Yeah. So what I'm getting is a, a piece of maximizing productivity. And I think this would actually be a great way to, to cap our conversation is to remove some of the stressors, some of the weights and candidly, I was come out and say it, some of the bullshit mm-hmm. that yes. people have to deal with. Yes. I love that. It's a great way to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, you, you know, we've been going back and forth telling these, uh, these war stories about these things that I'm not even sure that, um, that the guy who created Dilbert would put in his cartoons because it might sound a little unrealistic. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, this, these things really happen. This, this stuff really happens. You get these people that are earn mid, mid six figure salaries and have titles that start with the letter C, and uh, they will actually spend their entire day just working on this type of stuff. Like, you put my name in the wrong order in the CCs. Let's have a meeting about it. Let's and have then a we'll meet- have another meeting. Let's have a about meeting it. about the meeting to plan the meeting. And then and then we're gonna put people through 14 training courses and uh, and people gotta understand if they don't like it, there's the door. Okay, yeah, that's it now. Sure. And uh, <laughs> now that we have the great resignation, the great reset, and the availability of resources where people can create their own incomes. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe 10 years ago that was an actual threat. But here in here in the era we are now somebody says, here's a door, you're running a 50-50 chance to say, cool, see ya. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And the way I look at it is, is um, you know, these, you know, they, they expect people to give a two-week notice or a four-week notice on leaving their job, and yet they can terminate you on the spot, and they don't even legally have to tell you why. I know. It's so, so, I mm-hmm. mean, and then that's just one thing. And then there's, and then we can also point out the, how they've, uh, how companies will try and forbid people from sharing how much money they make. And you know what that, you know, and you see all the memes, you know, what that's really all about is, well, if we start comparing salaries, we're going to find out that there are discrepancies there. Well, I'm going to go a step further. There are inequalities. Yes. And unjust. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it can be, it can, it could be gender-based. It could be ethnic-based. It could be um, education on paper-based. It could be nepotism-based. It could be all kinds of things. So that's why they get all up in their feels about, oh, don't share your salaries. And they even can make that a fireable offense because God forbid the workers get together. Yeah. And then then, then they band together and they say, and and then you have the person who's getting paid less saying, I want to get paid what my colleague gets paid for the same type of job. It's not fair that I'm making less than they do. And the person who's making the more money says, yeah, absolutely right. They should be making as much as me. They do the same job. Oh, because the United Front, oh, that's the last thing they want. Yeah, they did not want that. It's funny, like, I, I know we're on wrap-up, but just to reinforce that point to the listeners, or I saw um, a article on LinkedIn that was just saying that a couple of um, people got together and started, got lawyers and sued um, for getting terminated for that and won against the company that that was, they weren't um, technically able to fire them over that because they had a right to use their um, freedom of speech. That's just what I was thinking. Now we're getting into freedom of speech grounds. Um, Yeah, so absolutely. All right. So what I want our listeners to do, uh, 
take an opportunity you haven't done so already. I mentioned this about 50 minutes ago. Go to Becca Powers' website, which is simply www.beccapowers.com. And you can discover more about uh, the solution she offers around this type of topic we've covered today. Uh, she is the author of books, uh, one of which is Harness Your Inner CEO, and the other is called, um, and it's coming up soon as of our conversation here, is the Breakup with Burnout Blueprints. If yes. you want to take this one step further, it's due out sometime within the next few months, I believe, give or take. I don't want to say the exact date because it's fluid. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've written books myself. I know it's fluid. You might, I mean, I know you're giving a date right now that's giving you plenty of time, but for all we know, you might uh, get a fire lit under you as a result of speaking with me and turn the thing out by next weekend. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, do check out Becca's podcast, which is called the Higher Achievers Club podcast and uh i think you'll enjoy it immensely and that's about it so becca powers thank you so much for being with us today it's been an honor believe me in education yes thank you adam it was awesome conversation i appreciate you having me as a guest we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the business creators radio show check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com while you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.